0: Well, I guess you have heard Brad and Lisa are attending the baptism of one of the grandsons. So what a joyous day for them. I don't often quote Mick Jagger in the pulpit. I do on rare occasion. The guy is 80 years old. And he still tours. I mean, I think that's wrong <laughs> on any number of levels. Um, I've never had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Jagger. But I, I think we might all agree, based on his persona and his music, that he is not unfamiliar with the tenets of hedonism. You know what hedonism means. It's the pursuit of worldly and fleshly pleasure as the highest purpose in life. This guy's been a rock star for 65 or 70 years now, I guess 65 years, and he's still singing, I can't get no satisfaction, right? I love that song, by the way. I can't get no satisfaction. He says, I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, but I can't get no satisfaction nor do I often quote Oscar Wilde. Some of you won't be familiar with his name, but he was a famous 19th century playwright and extravagant libertine. But he nailed it as well. I've always loved this quote. You know, unbelievers say amazing things at times. He said there are two tragedies in life. Who who knows what they are? Who knows what the two tragedies are? Two tragedies in life. Not getting what you want and getting what you want. I've always loved this quote. Wilde says not getting what you want is tragic but, but not nearly as tragic as getting it and finding out it gives you no satisfaction, right? You thought it would make you happy. You thought it would give you lasting pleasure. You thought it was important but it's none of those things. Those of you who've lived long enough, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Exodus 3.11, I share with you on a pretty regular basis. God has set eternity in the heart of man. So what are the implications of that reality? Only God can satisfy your heart, your soul, your mind, and your imagination. Nothing in this world will. That is the implication. Everything else is just, it's just too small, right? Right? Including human love, marriage, kids, career success, accomplishment, fame, fortune, and all manner of fleshly pleasure. It's all too small for the human heart. God said eternity in there. And what I want to say to you if Mick could have the whole cosmos and all its pleasure, he'd still be singing, I can't get no satisfaction. And if Oscar Wilde could have the whole world, it would still be a tragedy. God was, God made man for Himself, and men have settled elsewhere. You remember how God says it over in Isaiah fifty-five two. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? God says it over in Jeremiah 2.13 like this, Why do you forsake me, the fountain of living waters, and drink from broken cisterns that can hold no water? So we're back to Matthew 14, Peter, the boat, the waves, and Jesus. We've been talking a lot about this as sort of the foundation for our look at Hebrews 11. We've been mentioning this incident in Matthew 14. Why did Peter get out of the boat? You tell me. Why? Why? He wanted to. And I asked you last week, do you want to? Do you want Jesus like that? He wanted to get out of the boat. He had decided that Jesus was the only one that could fill his heart and soul and mind. And even if it wasn't possible, he wanted to be walking with Jesus. He said, Lord, remember I challenged you on this. He said, Lord, if that's you, what, bid me come. I mean, this is the the prayer of every serious Christian. When was the last time you prayed it? Lord, Jesus, bid me come. I don't want to stay like I am. I know I need to move on. It's what sanctification is. We're always in transition. If we're Christians, we're in transition. If we're merely religious, we're just sitting down and giving lip service to the name of Jesus and tipping our hat when it's convenient. And what does Jesus always say when when his people pray, bid me come? what what, What does Jesus always say? You tell me, what does he always say? Come. It's Hebrews 11. The whole chapter is come. This is not simply theology and doctrine. This is your invitation to come and walk with God. It's what Hebrews 11 is all about. God says to Peter and anyone else who has the ears to hear, come. And see how awesome I am. Come and see who you're supposed to be. God says, come and I will satisfy your heart, soul, mind, and imagination forever. And this is what every true believer knows. We all know, right? The born-again believer knows that we've just begun this amazing journey of walking with God and knowing God. So I'm going to ask you at the outset... How have you responded to God's invitation? Are you praying that prayer? When was the last time you prayed the prayer? Lord God, bid me come. When was the last time you prayed it? Now I know sometimes we, for, we can forget about things, especially old people like me. But I don't want to ever forget to pray this. I want to move on with God. I don't want to sit where I am. I don't want to stay stagnant. I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of God. The Lord Jesus Christ, is Christ your foremost and final satisfaction? Is He your highest pleasure? I mean, I think this, to me, we're getting down to the nuts and bolts of biblical Christianity. Is Christ your highest pleasure? I think that's a very important question for each of us to answer. So Oscar Wilde, he didn't uncover two tragedies, really only one. What was the tragedy that Oscar Wilde uncovered? It's what men want. It's in the wanting. That's the tragedy. God made us for himself, but we want other stuff. We want shiny stuff. Yeah. It's in our wanting. That's the tragedy. It is in our wanting, again, man was built for God, but we have given ourselves to lesser things. It's called sin. It's why Mick and Oscar can't find any satisfaction. It's called sin. Sin is always looking in the wrong place for life. Do you not have a vibrant spiritual life? That's on you. Jesus says, come, and I'll give you an abundant life. You may have to weep today. You may have to mourn today. You may have to cry today. But as the Apostle Paul says, we are sorrowful yet always rejoicing. God is our reward. We've been making much of this in the last few weeks I want to say it like this, and I, I'm, I'm, I get this from John Piper, famous preacher. I I, I love what he says. He says, he says, uh, he calls this the the, the 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 not finding our pleasure and supreme satisfaction in God. He calls this, I love this, the ultimate essence of evil. I think many many people sitting in churches have no idea that God neglect is evil. It's evil in the sight of God. God neglect is evil. And how much God neglect is going on in your average church on Sunday morning and all through the week. It is the consummate crime. It is an insult to God and a crime, the the, the most heinous crime of man. God neglect. You know, C.S. Lewis He said it pretty well. This great sin of being far too easily pleased. You know, being easily pleased with the things of the world when we've been made for God. I love how he says that. And how how rebellious mankind has settled, right? We've settled for lesser things. When, When we were made for God and God says, come, and we say, no, I'm too interested in this other thing. This other thing gives me more pleasure than you. We don't say those words, but by our lives we declare it. You gotta pray, bid me come. And he will say, Come. The men and women of Hebrews 11 did not make this eternity defining error of. Coming short of God, of of loving the world and the things of the world and the pleasures of the world more than they loved God. They'd made the calculus, right? (laughs) They'd made the calculus. God is infinitely better than anything on the planet. And if I could have the whole cosmos, if it were mine, God's better. God's more satisfying. God's more pleasurable. God's more compelling. They had learned this for themselves. That's the title of the sermon. They were en route. What does it mean? You know what it means to be en route. They're on their way. (laughs) They're on their way to God. It's their their primary priority. I'm on my way to God. You know, Karen asked me a long time ago when I was still in seminary. She said, well, what are we going to do? I said, I have no idea what we're going to do but I figure God's going to give us an errand to run and we'll run that errand until we get home. I love that analogy. You you know your life is an errand. If you're a Christian this this morning, if you're a born-again believer, your life is an errand. It's an errand for God. You're supposed to be in route, right? You're in route. I'm just going home. Yeah, if I need to run by Italy for 20 years, we'll do that. If I'm going to go, if I'm going to help down at Scott and, and be an elder down there, yeah, that'd be great. It doesn't really matter to me. I don't care what the errand is. I really don't. We are on an errand. Hebrews 11, last two weeks we've seen uh, initially God defines faith. Hebrews 11:1. 1, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we made the The statement that what's really being said here is God is the substance of things hoped for. God is the evidence of things not seen. Last week we parked on Hebrews 11.6 and we saw that without faith it is impossible to please God. We must not only believe that He is, we must believe that He's a rewarder. If you don't believe He's a rewarder, you'll never obey Him in the world. You'll be a coward every day. But when you know He's a rewarder, they can't stop you, they can't hold you back. (laughs) Do your worst. I'm walking with God. I not only believe he is, I believe he's good. I believe he's a promise keeper. Yeah, like, like, uh, like uh, I think the Lord Jesus said to his men, his 12 guys, he said, you know, they're going to kill you, but not a hair on your head will perish. I always love that, right? They're going to kill you. And we know that 10 of the remaining 11 faithful disciples were martyred. Isn't it interesting? They're going to kill you, but not a hair on your head will perish. This is how God talks. <laughs> Don't you love it? I mean, isn't there a lot of freedom in that? Can't you just feel the liberty in it? So we not only believe that God is, we believe that God is faithful to His Word. Ergo, we can be Hebrews 11, men, And women, we will not shrink back. I shared with you, was it last week, Hebrews 10, 38 and 39, which is really the introduction to Hebrews 11. I'm going to read it to you again. Hebrews 10, 38. God says, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39. And here it is. The writer of Hebrews says, but we are not of those who shrink back. That's the introduction to Hebrews 11. We don't do that. True Christians don't do that. We're not cowards in the world. Look what he says. We don't shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Hebrews 11 is all about faith in God and the preserving of the soul. Right? You guys know that those of you who have walked with God in difficult times, or in challenging times, it's that Psalm 119 thing, you know. He, in, he enlarges your heart. And He just comes and He just reveals Himself to you in a brand new way, right? It's that, it's that disclosure thing, John 14, 21. So as we make our way through Hebrews 11, God defines and quantifies real faith, and then we're going to see 16 named illustrations. I think, as you heard, Joe, read the text. um, We will look at three this morning. Real faith, God-given faith, born-again faith, is not about religious habits. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and they say, Yeah, I'm a church member. I prayed the prayer. I attend church. All of that is good if the foundation of it is I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my life looks like it. Then you can talk to me about being a church member, about praying the prayer, and about attending church. Those are good things. But those are those are the consequence of the born-again thing. The born-again thing is God is my highest pleasure. God is my highest delight. I love and adore Him, and I will do anything He asks me to do. This is, this is biblical Christianity. It's not just church going. Boy, there's a, there's a lot of problem out there in, the, in what is called the modern church with respect. To that, so yeah, we're, we're we're in route. The true Christians in route. We're no longer earthbound. We're heavenbound. We're on our way. <laughs> we're on the way. <laughs> In Hebrews 11, God is clear, real faith, God-given faith, born-again faith radically points at heaven. It radically points at the new heaven and the new earth. It's right there in verse 10. Look, look you heard Joe read that. For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, who architect, whose architect is, uh, and builder is God. This is, what, this is what we're preoccupied with. This is our preoccupation. We'll soon be with God. Beloved, it's why we can live such fearless, confident, and powerful lives. Our God is the substance of things hoped for. Our God is the evidence of things not seen. And we talked about it last week. I think I mentioned it. If we really believe He's a rewarder, why would we not radically obey Him? I'm not talking about lip service obedience, I'm talking about radical obedience. Always being open to whatever He has for us, you know, even if it's not on our resume, which He often calls us to do. So I want, to notice, I want us to notice several truths in the text tonight about God-given faith. Not tonight, this morning, sorry. I used to preach at night all the time in Italy. So uh, it's God-given, God-given faith in the text. You heard Joe read it. I'm not going to reread it, but I'll be talking through it. So I'd like for you to follow along with me if you would. Again, verses 7 through 12. So let me ask you, you heard the text read, What is the origin of real faith in the lives of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah? Did you hear it? Did you see it? What is it? What is the origin this is such an important truth the first truth here is that God initiates if God waited on us to come to him there'd be not one human being in heaven God comes for his people Did you see the, you know, it's always Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve didn't go looking for God, did they? (laughs) They they didn't go looking for God. God came for them. This is how it always is in the Bible. Genesis 3 to Revelation. It's always like this. This is how God does business. So what precipitated faith in the life of Noah, Abraham, and Sarah? God what? Warned Noah, verse 7. God called Abraham, verse 8, and God promised Sarah, verse 11. It's always God and the Word of God. It's why we preach the Word of God here. There is no regenerating power in the words of men. Only in the words of God. It's in the text... Life-changing faith originates in God's Word alone. You guys know the famous text, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. It's why we preach the Bible. It's why we teach the Bible. Again, this is how God does business. He saves His people like this. It's His overture. It's always God's initiative. This is a big deal. If you're thinking thinking rightly, (laughs) if you're thinking rightly, you'll praise God for this. What What does Romans 3 tell us? No man seeks for God. Now, if you ever hear somebody give their testimony and they tell you they were seeking for God, they're lying. Jesus said in John 6, You will not, you cannot come to me lest you be drawn by the Father. Now, the Father gets all the glory. You're not supposed to boast about anything. The Father gets the glory. He did the drawing. So we see in Hebrews 11, God's chapter of faith, Abraham was called, Noah was warned, and Sarah was promised. And here's what I know, because here you sit. God is making an overture to you this morning. Happenstance did not bring you here this morning. God brought you here this morning. And the question is how will you respond to him and his word? That's always the question, right? Will you be like Noah and Abraham and Sarah? Will you say yes to God? Will you accept God's invitation to step into a Hebrews 11 kind of in route life? (laughs) You know, a lot of people hear that and and they shrink back. They don't want any part of that. That sounds a little scary. Let me just be religious, you know. But the born again soul hears that and they want it. It's the Peter thing. (laughs) I want that. I want to walk like that. I want my life to be huge for God. Whatever the context is. God warned Noah and He's warning some of you today. God called Abraham and He's calling some of you today. God promised Sarah and God is making a promise to some of you today. If you will only believe and obey. You know, Hebrews 11 is kind of an open chapter. I think God's still adding names. <laughs> obviously, in the heavenly realm. So this first truth I want you to get about biblical saving faith is that God always initiates. Secondly, the second truth about saving faith is that it begins with an inner response. God initiates, then there must be an inner response from the human being. It's right there in the text, verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen. What? What? In what? Reverence. There's an astonishing lack of reverence for God in what is called the modern church. I've met many, many, many professed Christians from all over the world, 96 different nations. And there's just an astonishing lack of genuine, heartfelt reverence before God this is a good lesson for us to learn from Noah right it's that inner life of faith bowing humbly and trembling with joy before our awesome creator and redeemer you guys know Psalm 211 I bring it up a lot it's the the verse that that, uh, we use for dangerous God ministries we're called to worship with reverence and rejoice with trembling is there any trembling going on (laughs) any trembling going on Is there any reverence going on? Most? Well, here, I looked up some synonyms for for what it means to to have reverence. It means to respect, to admire, to worship, to have awe and veneration, astonishment and amazement. Again, I'll I'll go back to my experience in Milan. I met many professed Christians that didn't have any of that going on in their life. A little church going, if it's not too inconvenient. That's the sum and substance of my Christianity. Well, don't call it Christianity, because that's not what it is. That's not what it is. We are to reverence this great God. Some of you, though, some of you who are born again, you understand what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying. It's all about awe and worship and astonishment and amazement for you. Every day it's about that as you contemplate God, as you look into His Word, as you have a prayer time, as you take a walk and, and marvel at the created order. And it's just always awe and wonder. Every day is awe and wonder. That's an in route kind of faith. It's how the men and women of Hebrews 11 lived. So what is Abraham's inner response here? What was his inner response? Well, it's not explicitly stated. It's visible. Abraham went out what? Not knowing where he was going. He left his home not knowing where he was going. And he took his family with him. So what's the inner response of, of Abraham here? It's absolute Total trust. It's just blind trust in God and the character and the promise of God. I was listening to Piper the other day. I love what he said about this. And you'll think about it and you'll understand. Human ignorance is a precondition for a response of faith. Human ignorance is a precondition for a response of faith. We don't know how it's going to go. We're not naming and claim it. We're not word of faith. We're not exactly sure what God's going to do, but we know this God will be glorified, and I'll ultimately be filled with joy. That's what we know. Wait till we get to the end of Hebrews 11 and people are being sawn into. Oh, well, he didn't have enough faith. The word of faith people will tell you, oh, he, he didn't have enough faith. It's blasphemy. It's always blasphemy. Human ignorance is a precondition for response of genuine faith. We don't know what, exactly what God's going to do. And listen to Piper. I love this. I had to stop. I was running. I had to stop and laugh. Listen to what he says. If you're hung up on having absolute assurance of what will happen if you obey God, you're never going to get much further than the couch. That's it. You can't go any further with your so-called faith. I had to stop and laugh. It's true. I always wondered about this conversation between Abraham and Sarah. Right? (laughs) Abraham says, we're leaving. She says, where are we going? He says, I don't know. I always wondered about that conversation. I could imagine Sarah bringing up the countless unknowns, but, but Abraham says, hey, let's just focus on the supreme known. Let's focus on the fact that our God is God and our God's a rewarder. Why don't we do that? Why do we do that? It was enough for her. Let me ask you, what's been your inner response to the overture of God I can sum up the clear testimony of Scripture and my own personal testimony as well. If you do not believe God, if you do not trust God, if you do not obey God, if you do not say yes to God, you lose. God doesn't lose anything, but it's incalculable what your loss will be. It will be infinite and it will be eternal. Beyond calculation. So there are eternity defining implications here. We must say yes to God. You must respond to the warning this morning. You must respond to the call. You must respond to the promise because everything forever is at stake. Every time we come in here, everything forever is at stake. Let me say it positively. I could say it negatively. Obviously, there's an eternal conscious hell. We we won't go there. It's, It's obviously biblically revealed. That's the negative. What is the positive? You must say yes to God because He is life. Everything else is just death. You may be inhaling and exhaling, but it's just death. And then you just walk right into eternal death. Look what it says there in verse 10. Abraham was... I like this, looking, what are you looking for in in your walk with God? What are you looking for? Abraham was looking for the city whose architect and builder is God. This is an en route faith. I love that. Real faith is always looking at God. And real faith is always looking at and trusting in the promises of God. If God said it, you can take it to the bank. I know most of you would agree. Okay, the third truth about biblical faith, saving faith, that I want to share with you from the text is that it always manifests itself in an external response. Now, you know, you hear these knuckleheads on TV, well, my faith is personal. Yeah, oh, Okay, okay. Maybe, maybe they're saying that in some legitimate sense. But what they're really saying is I don't have any idea how to talk about it, so I'm not going to talk about it. Your faith is not personal in the sense that you're called to be an evangelist. You're called to make disciples. That's what we're called to do. Not be secret agent Christians. There's no such thing as a secret agent Christian. He's just lying to himself. There'll always be, if the inner response... The inner response will bleed out into the life. There'll be an external response. Your spouse will know. Your kids will know. Your co-workers will know. They will know. God is crystal clear on this point. You know the famous text, James 2, 17 and 20. Jesus' half-brother wrote, Faith without works is dead. It is useless. How do you know? No, I had faith. How do, you, how do you know? There's an ark in the backyard. And there's good supposition that it's never rained before. <laughs> there's an ark in the backyard. How do we know Abraham had faith? He left everything not knowing where he was going. He had that assured ignorance, Right? If you've ever gone very far with God, you're always going to walk right into that assured ignorance. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but my promise-keeping omnipotent God does. And He's a rewarder. How How do we know Sarah had faith? She's old and barren and pregnant. Verse 11 says... Here's a John Piper quote for you. If you're in on this, if you have in route faith, if you're born again, you have biblical faith, saving faith, your life will take on dimensions that can only be explained by the fact that God is the substance of things hoped for and God is the evidence of things not seen. I'm going to read it to you again. If, if you're really a believer, your life takes on these dimensions that can only be explained by the fact that God has invaded your life. Only God makes sense out of an ark on dry land. Only God makes sense out of, of a man taking his family and immigrating to who knows where. Only God makes sense out of a 90-year-old barren woman getting the nursery ready, how do those in your orbit know that you have faith? This is an important question for each one of us. Do those in your orbit see your faith? Again, it's the Sproul quote, biblical faith is not merely believing in God, it's believing God. And I shared with you the last week or two Francis Chan's quote, Something's wrong if our, when our lives make sense to unbelievers. And I, I was thinking about that this week, and I got to take that up a notch. Because I don't think I did a, a week or two ago when I mentioned it. You got to take that up a notch. Everything's wrong. <laughs> Everything's wrong if your life makes sense to an unbeliever. You're a child of God, right? An adopted child of God. Everything's wrong. Noah, Abraham, Sarah. Their lives did not make sense to the unbelievers around them. And to one degree or another, neither should ours. The fourth truth here about biblical faith is that it enjoys a measure of God's reward now, but only the smallest portion. And this is very important for us to understand. And it's clear from The Bible, without question, born-again Christians are the happiest people on the planet. We know and fellowship with and communicate with and walk intimately with the most beautiful, desirable, and compelling being in the cosmos. We know our Creator, and we know our Redeemer. And on our worst day, our hardest day, our saddest day, our beautiful God is with us, and He's working even in our tears. Don't you love that? You know, you know, the unbeliever, it's just all wasted pain. You know, when the trial comes to him, it's just wasted pain. But we don't have any wasted pain. God's redeeming it. God's doing a thing in it. Ultimately bringing us into conformity with his Son, Romans 8. My point is, knowing and walking with God in time while we are on the planet is inexpressibly sweet Yet it's only the smallest portion of our reward. It's only the tiniest portion of our reward. We haven't seen anything yet. And if you don't have that impression, if you don't have that view of the new heaven and new earth, you're, you're, you know, you're just out of bounds. You're in a ditch. Eyes not seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for those who love Him, right? We can't even begin to imagine... As I often remind you, after a billion eternities, there will still be an infinite amount of beauty, genius, grandeur, and glory of God to discover and enjoy. The romance only intensifies throughout all eternity. I think Jonathan Edwards uses, the, he uses this language that, that with, a, with a given velocity, we continue to apprehend the greatness of God. Throughout all eternity. You think you're going to get bored in eternity? I'll say this. If you have the slightest notion you might get bored, you haven't met Christ yet. You will not get bored. And yeah, there'll be 10,000 subordinate pleasures there. But he's the primary one. He is our reward. And you could gaze upon him for three eternities and still not see enough. It's like those, 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 those living creatures. Is it Revelation 4? They're just looking at God. My, my seminary prof, he said, you think if you tap one on the shoulder, they turn around and look at you? No. They've only been looking at God from, from whenever they were created. And they're not going to turn around and look at you. They have a sense of urgency. I love this. They have a sense of urgency about looking at God. I want to say, some of you, I bet, don't have any sense of urgency about looking at God in the Word. Those four living creatures who actually saw God, they had a sense of urgency about it. But as believers, we understand, right? We, we understand it, that, that all the, 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 the beauty and fellowship we have with God in this life, it's, it's, just, it's just almost nothing compared to what awaits us. So we take the long view, right? <laughs> we take the long view. You know, you've got these major issues come up in your life. Are you going to take the short view or the long view? The long view is, how does this glorify God? And how can I find joy in it? That's the long view. Because I, I do want to hear, well done, you know, good and faithful servant. I, I, that's, I'm pointing at that. I'm pointing at the bema seat. I'm always pointing at the bema seat when I will stand before the Lord. God says, build an ark. Noah says, where's my hammer? Noah believes That God is, and he believes that God is a rewarding God, 120 years working on the ark, preaching all the time, not one convert. But no one knows he hadn't seen anything yet. God says to Abraham, Leave your home. Abraham says, Where's my suitcase? Abraham believes that God is, and he believes that God is a rewarding God. And he traveled approximately 600 miles with his family, which is no small thing in that era. But God knows, pardon me, Abraham knows he hasn't seen anything yet. And and I'm going to say this one more time with Sarah. But I want you to know you haven't seen anything yet only the smallest portion of the glory and the greatness of God. God says to a 90-year-old barren woman, in a year I'll return and you will have a son. Of course, we know Sarah laughed to herself, and it's one of my favorite things in the Bible that the Lord says. He says, don't you love, don't you love the, the humor here? Is there anything too difficult for me? Don't you love that? <laughs> this God who speaks trillions of galaxies into, is there anything too difficult for me? Well, No! <laughs> no, there's not. And verse 11 tells us that by faith Sarah received the ability to conceive beyond the proper time of life since she considered Him faithful. She considered Him faithful who had promised. Sarah believes that God is, and she believes that God is a rewarding God. And she knows she hasn't seen anything yet. This fourth truth about biblical faith is hugely significant for each one of us. Genuine biblical saving faith does not have its gaze fixed on this life, but on the one to come. When was the last time you thought deeply about heaven? You know, we we did a series on heaven, maybe, I don't know, was it three or four or five sermons? I can't remember now. But shame on you. You call yourself a Christian, and you're not thinking about it. It should be one of your premier and one of your uh, preeminent preoccupations. Right? What will it be like? Abraham took the long view. Noah took the long view. Sarah took the long view. These guys were in route, and these guys were God is my reward kind of guys, right? God is my reward. So let's read. I'm going to read verses 13 through 16 real quick. Hebrews 11:13. 13. And all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles, on the earth and there it is right that's the in route thing we're strangers and exiles we understand we don't belong here anymore we're not here to stay we're here to go verse 14 for those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own and indeed if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out they would have had opportunity to return verse 16 but as it is they desire there it is <laughs> what is your desire what's your principal primary paramount desire. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. And here's something that's not repeated anywhere else in Scripture. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for He has prepared a city for them. (sighs) The men and women Hebrews 11, they were looking at the new heaven and the new earth. And their God who reigns, C.S. Lewis said it well, aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in, aim at earth and you'll get neither. And and I'm just going to say this again, I have met so many professed Christians The aroma of their life is I am aiming at this earth. I give little to no thought or meditation to what it must mean. You know, people used to say, well, Jim, are you ready to go? And I used to say, well, I want to preach one more time. And I don't say that anymore because it's an insult to God. Like he needs me to preach one more time. And and I would rather preach than be in his presence. No, no. I would rather be in his presence. To live as Christ, what? What? To die is gain. Real Christians don't aim at success, acclaim worldly riches and pleasures and a comfortable, well funded retirement. That's too small for us. Those are great blessings, but that's not what we're aiming at. So I'm going to ask you, where have you been compromising with God? Where have you been afraid to step out in faith? Where do you need to say yes to God? Where do you need to believe, trust, and obey the Lord? Are you aiming at heaven, or are you still enamored with the world? You and I are no different. I know a lot of people think, well, you know, that's Abraham, and that's Noah, and that's Moses. And no, it's you! We're just like them. Flesh and blood, just like them. Same kinds of problems, just like them. Same kinds of fears and anxiety, just like them. But they believed God is, and they believed He was good, and they went with Him, and voila, they ended up in the Word of God. Now, you're never going to end up in the Word of God, but (laughs) there's going to be those sweet moments, sitting with Jesus under the tree in the new heaven and new earth, remembering the things He did. In and through your life, they said yes to God. They were en route. So, my challenge to you is to take the long view to be a strangers and exiles kind of Christian. Say yes to God. You've got a new year coming up. Say yes to God. In a way you never have before. How about that? Bid me come. Bid me come. Lord Jesus. I dare you to open your hands with God and pray that prayer. On the other side of that prayer is an extraordinary life with a beautiful God. And any real Christian can tell you this. Any real Christians who has their hands open with God, they can tell you this. They wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And here's another promise. Those of you who take me up on this dare, you will never, 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 never regret it in this life or the next. If you drive a stake in the ground today and you become a radical follower of Christ, you'll never regret it. You'll never regret it. Of the men and women who live like this, God says, I am not ashamed to be called their God. Let's pray together.